Hey, do me a favor and raise your hand if God has broken a chain in your life. You know, look, look around. Just look around. I mean, this, this isn't religion. This is your people saying, no, God has done something in my life. That's pretty cool. We see a lot of chains broken. A lot of stuff the enemy means to imprison us and hold us down and force his lie in our lives. And we see him broken in the name of Jesus. We see a lot of that on Sunday mornings. We're seeing some of it start up on Wednesday nights and celebrate recovery here too, ladies and gentlemen. If you are a person here today and you are like so many of us that seem to struggle with repetitive behaviors, destructive behaviors, sinful behaviors you just can't seem to get free from, that's what what Wednesday nights are for. That's what Celebrate Recovery is for. And there's a cool thing happening here at 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. And uh, we call them getting free from our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. But what it really is, is the Lord Jesus Christ coming in the power of His Holy Spirit and breaking chains. And so, it's a good thing. Yeah, I'd like to ask you, uh, before I get preaching, uh, I'd like to ask you to pray. I'd like you to ask you to pray in a very special, specific way. I think... Uh, most of you probably know that we are privileged to have a children's home in Bangalore, India. It's been uh, part of our very long relationship with Cornerstone Ministries and uh, the late Pastor A. Stephen. And uh, I think that's the first time I ever said it that way. So uh, we have this children's home, among other things, that we are privileged to do in India. And uh, we have 15 girls who live there who, if they didn't live there, many of them would not be alive. And uh, there's a move on by militant Hindus in Bangalore, the city of Bangalore, which is a city of 8.5 million people. Uh, There's a move on opposition against the Christian children's homes that are there because of this. Because there are many children's homes throughout India, as you can imagine, good-hearted people led by the Spirit to do what they do. And uh, in Bangalore, there are, I don't even know how many, but there are a number of them. And one of them is in the, caught in the midst of a scandal right now where a young adult woman has accused one of the workers there of abusing her while she was there as a girl. And it could be true, but the, that's, not our, that's not our home at all. But what's happened is the militant Hindus have seen this as an opportunity then, as they often do, to just to bring trouble for anything that has the name of Jesus on it, in this case, children's homes. So even our children's home, among all the others, has been is being investigated. And the police have been there and have interviewed some of the girls, which just breaks my heart. And um, they were quite terrified by that. Uh, but we have, you know, running that whole situation is Yonako, uh, which is Pastor Stephen and Queenie's daughter, and uh, she's, uh, she's in front of that. She's a very gifted, very talented, educated woman. And she's bringing in the right legal counsel and doing the right things to stand against it. But she has specifically asked our church to pray for her, to pray for her. Because it's really tricky just trying to work through the Indian government system there. And so uh, as I was praying for her, I saw a picture of an angel of the Lord going before her wherever she went. And this angel had a sword and it was just clearing the way for her. So I think every, I know everything's going to be fine but we need to pray. Would you join me in praying? 
right now for Yoniko. Would you just get in little groups? Don't, try not to be alone. And it, you can pray silently or you can pray aloud, but just go ahead and pray. Remember who you're praying to. You're not praying to a reluctant God, trying to persuade a reluctant God to do something. You're praying to a loving God of the universe, and we just need to figure out how to access His power to declare this victory on top of, on top of the situation. So if you're feeling a boldness to say, you know, I just declare victory in front of Yoniko, I declare victory on behalf of these children's homes, go ahead and pray that way. Release your faith. Not faith in your prayers, but faith in the God to whom you're praying. Lord, we count it such a privilege to be here in Grove City and just humbly you have called us to be a, such an, a primary part of that whole ministry there. And we thank you for every bit of it. And right now we focus our prayers on the children's home, Lord, and those precious girls who live there. And we pray in the name of Jesus that the chain that's trying to be laid over it would be broken right now. And that whatever, uh, whatever the devil is up to, you would, you would crush it and you would use the dust for your glory, Lord. And we pray that you will go before Yoniko and you pray that you will go before her in all of her efforts. You will send that angel of the Lord before her that she will find inexplicable favor with those who are trying to bring her harm now, Father God. And we give you all the praise and glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'll try to keep you updated on that as I get information. Well, if you think about so many things, uh, so many things that we know of in life are comprised of a few essential things in the middle surrounded by all the rest, right? And so if you think about football, you gotta, you got to know how to block and tackle and you got to know how to hold on to the ball and don't stop running until you hear a whistle, right? Right? And those are the few things that are in the middle and all the razzle-dazzles all around it, right? If you think about mathematics, you've got to know how to add and subtract and multiply and divide. And then from there, that's the basics, from there you can expand it to, to you know, solving quadratic formulas, right? Quadratic equations, right? Right? You can expand it to working with the sines and the cosines and the tangents and stuff, trigonometry, right? Right? You can use the that stuff to expand it to to determine limits and calculus and stuff like that, right? I mean, you could do that, right? Because you know how to add and subtract and multiply and divide. And so those things are at the middle, and the rest of it is built around it. And it's critical to get that stuff in the middle, or you get lost when you get into the more complex stuff, right? Jesus Christ is the same way. Knowing Jesus, it's critical to know who he is at the core of his person in order to move around in the more in the more delicate or complicated, complex issues of being a disciple of Jesus. And so last week I started a three-week series entitled Jesus Christ, an introduction to the person of Jesus Christ. And there are some essentials that exist in the middle of Jesus Christ and knowing the person of Jesus Christ from which everything else stems. You get this and the rest can stem. You miss this and you're going to be confused on the outside. How many of you were at some point in your life in algebra or something and you're going, I don't get this. Raise your hand. Okay, right. And what did you do? You went back to where you got it, right? You say, no, I actually never got it. Uh, 
the thing to do would have been to go back to the place that you did get it and go, what did I miss next? Well, if you're in some state of confusion about your relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, then let's go back to what we know. I mean, we could talk about the dimensions of the person of Jesus Christ from now until He came back and never run out of material. But what, run, what lives at the center of it? What lives at the center of it? And I think for our purposes, I want us to focus on three dimensions of the person of Jesus Christ in order to make sure we've got the basics. That he is the Son of God, that he's the Son of Man, and that he is presently reigning King. And these are the aspects, the dimensions, if you will, the person of Jesus that I'd like for you to set your minds and your hearts on as we move through this time. Father, we just pray as we come into this word, this message, this teaching that, Lord, unless you talk, our meeting is in vain. Unless you teach, it has no purpose, it has no merit, it has no life. Lord, I I pray that you'll take these words that I believe you've given me and speak them and keep me from speaking any of the words you haven't. This is your church. It's your message. And we come in the name of your Son, whose face we seek to see in all of this now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we focus on who Jesus is because if we don't, a couple of bad things happen. One, when we read the Bible. You've been reading the Bible thing? Raise your hand if you've been reading it. Well, I would have expected a few more than that, but you've been reading the Bible thing. If you don't know who Jesus is... What you're tempted to do is put words back into his mouth from where you are. You're tempted to take the gospel words, the things that Jesus said, and you go, okay, well, here I've got them here. Now I'm going to put them back into Jesus' mouth and interpret them through where you are. But what we want is exactly the opposite to happen. We want to know who Jesus is, regardless of the cultural differences or the time difference. We want to know who Jesus is, and we want the words to come out of his mouth to speak into our culture, right? So that's why it's important for us to do this study. And also, if we don't take time to consider who Jesus is, then what happens is we we enter this drift. And the drift takes us to the place where eventually we become the center of the universe again. And how well did that work out before, right? Jesus is the center of all things. And so we need to keep our eyes on him. Last week, we began the series with a quick look at the obvious and that Jesus is what? Lord, I'm just really going to need help here today. I can tell. Last week, we began the series with the obvious, and that is that Jesus is the Son of God. Perhaps the most familiar Bible passage of all, out of the, out of the 31,000 Bible verses, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten Son, that Jesus is the Son of God. We looked at other parts of the Bible that said Jesus is the Son of God. We looked at the limits of that. What does that really mean? And we looked and we saw Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. It says that the fullness of God lived in Christ, so that Jesus, as the Son of God, was a full expression of God. We looked historically at the Nicene Creed in 325 A.D., where after much debate, 30 days of prayer and suffering and reading the Scriptures... 
They decided that Jesus is of the same substance as God, not similar. All that made a lot more sense last week. But here we are, we established that Jesus is the Son of God. Today, I'd like to flip the other side of the coin, and that is that Jesus is also the Son of Man. Jesus is referred to the Son of Man 78 times in the Gospels. 78 times. It was Jesus' favorite reference to himself when Jesus talked about himself. He referred to himself as the Son of Man. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? He referred to himself. It's hard to talk about yourself in the third person anyway, isn't it? (laughs) And Jesus did. Instead of saying, who do people say that Jesus is? He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Or even, who do people say that I am? And what you see as you look at the Gospels is that there's a progressive revelation of this. It's called the the Messianic secret, where he starts as a secret. And he says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Like, whoever that may be. And then as people begin to understand who he is, so even at the end when they say, are you the Son of God? and, And he says, well, it's as you say. And so we see this progressive revelation. But referring to himself as the Son of Man was his favorite, favorite way of referring to himself. And I think that this aspect of Jesus being human, human, like a man, human, the Son of Man, he's the Son of God, you're like, yeah, but the Son of Man, Son of Man, like a regular person, I think this is the the least appreciated by far of these three that I'm trying to bring to you. And I think we don't appreciate Jesus as the Son of Man for a couple of reasons. And one is because so much of our relationship with Christ is driven by the infection of consumerism. Say what? So much of our relationship with Christ is driven by the infection of consumerism. Yes or no, we live in a consumeristic society. It's all about us, yes? It's all about what can I get? What do I take away from this? People move from church to church to church to church to church to church to church going, what am I going to take away from this? What's in it for me? We're infected with consumerism. And we don't really want to talk about Jesus as the Son of God or Son of Man because that really doesn't do that much. Son of God, well, yeah, because I need stuff. i got a big list of stuff I need. And Son of God would be cool, right? Because he could do all that stuff easy. Reigning king, well, yeah, that's exactly the kind of friend that I want to have because he can get me stuff, right? Son of man, how is that helpful to me? People, friends I have. Son of man, Son of man, whole thing is just fraught with problems when we put ourselves as consumers in the center of what it means to be a Christian. I mean, you just look at the way Jesus lived his life as a man, and it's like he didn't have a house, he didn't have a donkey. And it's like, that's not playing very well into my prosperity theory at all here, is it? And he's just too gritty to be the superhero that I need him to be, right? I mean, have you read this Bible thing? And this is an understandable tension in which we live, though. Because after all, I mean, in fairness to us, Jesus made some pretty audacious statements like, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, stuff like that, right? Jesus did tell us to ask for big things. Jesus did tell us to heal the sick and raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers. So... 
there's that growing inside of us. And so the tension is understandable. But the, the thing is, is that when I become the driving center of my relationship with God, then I have entered into a recipe for disappointment and spiritual disaster. So that's the first reason. And I think the other reason that we don't like to think about Jesus as the Son of Man is because we don't like to think of Jesus with all the indelicate and impolite trappings of humanity. I mean, it's Jesus. Ah. Right? That Jesus we get. Floating in. White robe. Son of Man. Body odor. Jesus was a man. He smelled like something, right? He was a man. All the chemical processes occurred in him. He sweat. Bacteria grew in his armpits. In the hot Palestinian sun. He had body odor. Oh, don't talk about my Jesus that way. I wonder if he had dandruff. Maybe that's why he wore white. You don't want to think about Jesus that way. No, 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 don't do that, my Jesus. Athlete's foot. I mean, can't you just see Jesus sitting down, you know, with his guys and going, you know, I don't know how you picture the Sermon on the Mount. I picture it like, yeah, blessed are the poor in spirit. (laughs) Hello? What about an inopportune release of intestinal gas? Could come from either direction. I mean, you don't want to think about your Jesus being in a situation where you'd have to say, Oh, excuse me. That was me. Do you? You don't like to think of Jesus that way. So he's a son of man. Fully human. I wonder if as a teenager he had acne. Maybe. I mean, can you imagine Jesus? He's getting ready for school. Goes up to the mirror and he goes, Oh, myself. Big red horn there, you know. I know, and it's picture day, right, Shane? Exactly. Somebody's there. And I mean, what did he do then? I mean, James's brothers running around looking for the Clarisil, right? <laughs> Jesus is like, oh. <laughs> you don't know. We don't know. It's an argument from silence. I realize. I wonder if Jesus had mood swings. I mean, we see some of them as an adult. I wonder if he was a grumpy teenager. I don't know. Jesus was human. If we do not allow a place in our thinking and on our belief for the humanity of Jesus Christ, we're going to miss out on some very important aspects of our relationship with him. So what does it mean that Jesus was the Son of Man? Why is it important? Well, at its core, Jesus' frequent reference to himself as the Son of Man is most definitely a reference to his humanity. There's a lot that's mysterious about Jesus, yeah? 
this tall, bald guy is only going to be able to explain this much. But here's one that blows my mind. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. It's like, but that's 200%. I know, that's why it gets to be God, right? <laughs> fully God, fully man. But he was fully man. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, it says, And the Word became what? Flesh. The Word took a body, became human. And it says, dwelt among us, talking about Jesus. So what happened? So how, did, how could that be? Well, Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus did something very remarkable as the Son of Man. Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. You might want to follow along on this. I'm putting nothing up on the screen for you today because I was just grumpy this week, most of the week. Philippians chapter 2. The Bible says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus and then tells us something very important about Jesus who being in very nature God. So Jesus was in nature God, had God nature. But it says, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he's in nature God. He is God. Why wouldn't he consider equality? He did this for a very special purpose. Keep reading. But made himself nothing. As an act of his own will, made himself nothing. Set aside his God nature. Set aside his God abilities. Well, you say, well, how do he heal the sick and raise the dead? We'll get to that, okay? He set all that aside. It says right here, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, a human, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was fully human, the Bible says. Jesus was fully human. Fully, fully human. Hmm. There was controversy about the humanity of Jesus Christ right from the very beginning. There was this group called the Gnostics. Say Gnostics. Starts with a G. The beginning of that word, gnosis, means knowledge. And these Gnostics were all about that your spirituality rests on your knowledge. That the whole thing about being in connection with God is to get the right knowledge and then you'll be enlightened. Which that's really just Buddhism warmed up is what that is. Okay, It's not about knowing the right things. It's not about a head thing. It's about a spiritual transformation in Christ. So they didn't believe. They thought that Gnostics thought that matter in itself was evil. And they shunned matter. They said anything you could touch. So that Jesus couldn't have had a body because if he did, he'd be evil in their view, right? There were another group called the Docetists. And that, these people, that the core of that word, um, these, uh, these people believed that uh, at the core of that word is the word to seem or to appear. And so their belief was, yeah, I know Jesus was here, but he didn't really have a body because God couldn't do that. God wouldn't do that. And so he kind of was faking everybody out with a fake body. But it was really just God. So this was a problem. There was controversy. People could not handle this whole aspect of Jesus being human. So much so that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, the apostle said, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Wouldn't you like to know? Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You've got to embrace the humanity of Jesus Christ. This is part of the relationship that he wants to have with you. Significance will become clear in a minute. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. It's that simple. And in the reference is Jesus in the flesh. And it says, in fact, it says, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So there it says it in Scripture, also in that Council of Nicaea in 325 that we referenced last week, 
they also took time and they said, well, if Jesus is fully God, then what about his manness? And so you see in the Nicene Creed, there's even a phrase that said, and was made man. Okay. Oh, why does this matter, you ask? Three reasons I'm so glad you asked. One, because our salvation is tied as much to the humanity of Jesus as it is to his divinity. What? Our salvation. You want to be saved, right? I want to go to heaven after this. I mean, not today, but I want to go to heaven after this, right? I'm going to die. The body's going to stop. I'll be dead. You're going to roll me over, have a pizza party. I'll be gone. I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. I know that the Bible says this. There's a heaven and there's a hell. And that a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is the only thing that makes the difference between the two. That's what the Bible says. And so I'm depending on Christ. But I know something. I know, I know that, the, that my salvation has as much to do with the humanity of Jesus as it does with his divinity. I mean, we get that Son of God would save us, would make a way to heaven for us. But what's his humanity have to do with it? Well, in Luke chapter 19, there's a great story about a guy named Zacchaeus. Anybody hear about, did you get this in Luke 19, anybody? Zacchaeus was a what? He was a, you know the Bible doesn't say we? No. Zacchaeus, the song, there's a song? Little man. How's it? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior... If you're going to do it, do it. We're committed now. <laughs> Pass that way. He looked up in the tree and he said... You know, some of you guys are like, how do you guys... How do they... You guys who are like new to this, you're going like, was there a class or... We just do this stuff to keep you feeling like an outsider, all right? We, we're protecting our turf. This is stuff apparently kids learned when they were, I wasn't a kid in church, so apparently kids learn this kind of stuff like back there. Whatever it is they do back there, they're singing these kind of songs. Zacchaeus was a short tax collector. Tax collectors were despised. He was in the crowd. Jesus was coming through the town. Zacchaeus wanted to see him, and so he rushed to this tree. Happened to be a sycamore tree. Why that detail is in there, don't know. He climbed, and he ended up in this sycamore tree, and he sees them coming, and they're coming right toward the tree. It's like, oh, holy crap. And it stops right at the bottom. Stops right at the bottom of the tree. And Jesus looks up at him. This despised tax collector, hated by the town. And he said, what are you doing up there? Come down. I'm going to your house. I'm going to your house. But verse 10, Luke 19, verse 10 says this. This is key. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The Son of Man, Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The Son of Man, Jesus, the Son of God, became Son of Man to come and find you. Come all this way to find you, to get you, save you. That's the good news of the gospel, yeah? Mark chapter 10. Jesus' disciples were all fussing about who got to be the best leader, and they're like, I should do that. I've been here longer, and blah, blah, blah. Jesus said, why do you guys do this? 
So that's how the Gentiles do their leadership. They lord it over each other. But he said, if anybody wants to lead, then he has to serve. He said, in fact, whoever wants to be first, he needs to be last. Whoever wants to be great, he needs to be the servant of all. And then he said this about himself. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man is the ransom. Our salvation is tied as much to the humanity of Jesus as it is to his divinity. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. He gave up his right to be God, functioned as a human, and in the process of that, then God made him sin in our place so that we might become, it says, the righteousness of God took on the full weight of our sin. He effectively took our place. As Christians, we believe in something called substitutionary atonement. Say that. Atonement means getting right with God. It means the thing's broken and you're made right with God. at one is a way to remember it. at one with God again. Atonement. And the Bible teaches, we believe as Christians, that Jesus provided a substitutionary atonement, that he was our substitute, that he took our place on the cross, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is a substitute. Now, in order for Jesus to effectively serve as a substitute, he would have had to have been fully one of us, yes? Fully human. Or he's not really a substitute. And Jesus also, by being fully human, provides for us the, the, the treasures of the eternal life that we're living now. Did you know eternal life begins the moment you come to Christ, right? I mean, some of you sitting around, you're all waiting for to die, you know. That's when, uh, just do us a favor, would you? Go on ahead and tell us how it is. We'll catch up with you later. Eternal life is now. Now. We've got it. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, For we do not have a high priest, meaning Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. So Jesus in his humanity can sympathize. He knows why you're doing the stuff you're doing. Because he was tempted in the same way, yet was without sin. He knows why you keep repeating that. He knows why. And he's come to get you out. So that's the first reason. Second reason, ask me what it is and say, hurry up because it's getting late. Go. Okay, number two. Second reason that any of this matters is because the life Jesus lived before us was a pure example of the potential of a man filled with and living fully under the direction of the Holy Spirit. What? Fully? Listen, so important that Jesus is fully human because what did he do? He set aside, the Bible says he set aside his God rights. Well, then how did he raise all those, you know, he do all that abracadabra stuff when he was walking along. How do you walk on the water and multiply loaves of fishes? How do, you, how do you do all that if he set aside his God stuff? Hmm? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Another dimension of God. Human filled with the Holy Spirit. What a perfect example. When was he filled with the Holy Spirit? In Mark, Matthew chapter 3, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice came from heaven saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Jesus then 
was filled with the Holy Spirit, and his ministry proceeded from that, right? What did he do? What did he do after that? He starts healing people and driving out devils, right? And he lived as a perfect example of the Holy Spirit of the Holy Spirit filled man. He did some amazing things, yeah. And did he did he require recharging? Yes. How many times did Jesus? He's doing all the cool stuff, and then he says, "I got to get out of here." Where did he go? He went to pray, recharge. This is the rhythm of the spirit filled man or woman. Empty, serve, then retreat, recharge. Empty, serve, retreat, recharge. How many of you, like me, have violated that rhythm at some point or another? And you wonder, how come there's no bullets in my gun no more? I'm pulling the trigger and nothing's happening. Retreat, recharge. Did Jesus, like a spirit-filled man, check in with what the Father is doing so he would know what to do next? John 5, 19. Only do what I see the Father doing, of course. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said, I'm coming to earth, set aside my God part, and I'm going to come and be filled with the Holy Spirit and show him what's possible to the point that he said this. You've heard me say it before. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If anyone has faith in me, he will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. What are we waiting for? So there's that. And then third, why does this matter? Is because to understand the words of Jesus, we have to hear them man to man. What? Not God to man. Man to man. What? This is going to stretch some of you, and I'm going to get email, I realize. I believe in the full authority of the Bible. I believe it's the Word of God. When Jesus spoke, the words recorded that Jesus spoke, he spoke as a man. He came as a man, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke as a man to men. And we have to interpret them that way. We hear these words from Jesus, and we, th- we think there's a reverb on or something. Oh, no, he just spoke them. He was a rabbi. Jesus came, and he functioned in humanity as a rabbi. He wasn't just a rabbi. Surprise, I'm also the son of God. But he functioned as a rabbi, right? People thought he was a rabbi, just weird, because his ways were so unconventional. And if you look at what his critics objected to, it wasn't the fact that every now and then he'd talk about God being his father so much as it was he kept doing the rabbi thing wrong. His ways of recruiting his disciples were unconventional. You don't pick fishermen and tax collectors for crying out loud to be your disciples. His preferred audiences were unconventional. Rabbis went for the rich audiences, the religious audience. Jesus pulled up a rock and see who gathered, right? His social life was unconventional. Rabbis do not eat with tax collectors and travel with hookers. (laughs) Jesus did. And this is what they objected to. So they were objecting to his humanity. And in order to understand the impact of the words of Jesus, we've got to connect with him as the man who came. That doesn't take away anything from his godness. But he came and he spoke to us as a man. That means so many things. If you want to get a fuller perspective on that, I'd recommend a book that I'm reading right now called Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. I'm hungry. Let's quit. Seamless ending. Let's not quit. Let's just move into what God wants to do. 
I don't know if there's any way I can effectively communicate what it is that I'm, what's going on inside with the person of Jesus. I know this is different than six weeks of your magnificent. I, I know it's different, and I don't know if it seems important, but I, I got to figure out some way to persuade you that the most important thing that we can do with our lives is embrace the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus. There's nothing more important. And I know you, like me, are trying to figure out all kinds of practical problems in your life. We all have them. But when we encounter the person of Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, reigning King, then the, then the solutions flow from there. The life flows from there. We can't study our way into this. This is a revelation. This is an encounter with God waiting to happen. I'm missing words. I'm, I'm missing a vocabulary for this. Man, more than anything, I just want God to put his face in your face. Because, you know, Jesus as the Son of God, he can save us, yeah? But it's because he was the Son of Man that he will. He gets you. Jesus, the Son of God, can heal us. Yes? It's because He's Son of Man that He will. He gets you. Praying all week about this, and I was I got one one thing back. And I'm supposed to t- I don't know who this is for, but I'm supposed to t- say this. That Jesus wants you to hear this from his lips. I know why you cut yourself. And I'm here to get you out. I know why you cut yourself. He knows why. Not just that. But he knows why. You cut yourself. And he says, and I'm here to get you out. Come to Jesus. Prayer ministry people, would you come now? People who will come and just agree to pray for those who come to you. These are regular people just like you. They just believe that God still does miracles today. These people are coming because they believe that God would be interested in getting you out of your cutting cycles or whatever, whatever that might even symbolically mean for you. They believe that God will heal your body. They believe that God will bless your marriage. They believe this stuff. So as we just take a few minutes to worship God, I want to invite you to come to them and receive prayer for any reason any reason at all wouldn't matter what's going to happen when i come they're going to say what are we praying about you're going to tell them and off you go you're going to pray and see what god wants to do